0: Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, December 5th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. I've got the team with me from Pittsburgh Power. Pete and right today. I think Bruce is traveling and will not be able to join us. Phone lines are open I'm going to give you the new phone number, so grab something to write with if you need to. It is a maintenance free-for-all. If you've got a question about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. That number, 319-527-6791. And we're going to go to the phones right now and hear from Pete and Leroy. And then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up. Uh, Today's going to go fast. We are going to limit today to two hours. I've just got a lot going on this week. So jump in quick and we'll get to your call and question. 319-527-6791. Pete, Leroy, good morning, guys.
1: Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing today?
0: Good, mm-hmm. now that I managed to uh, unmute myself so people could actually hear me talking. Good, mm-hmm. yes. We
1: wonder what yeah. was going on. That's here. one
0: of those things you have to do. You, yeah. you, you have to do that. It's a talk show. People have to be able to hear me talk. Actually, I, talk show I, 101. Yeah, I, I was just practicing my open, so I did it once, and then I did it again that people could actually hear. Mm-hmm. My, I, okay. I will tell everybody this. My first attempt was my best ever. It was absolutely brilliant, and I can't believe everybody missed it. It always works that way. I know. I know. So, what's, uh, what, what's new and exciting in your world today?
1: So, I was just going to go over um, the shop. So, we're, we're getting caught up. Anything big in size, we can get in on the um, 18th. Hold, in between hold. now and then, we can get into some small jobs. Hold on. We've got. Uh, We've got
0: some no, noise here no, in the okay. background that I don't need. Let me get rid of that. All right, go ahead. Pete, Leroy, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so the, the shop's getting caught up. Um, you know, bigger jobs, uh, December 18th on. We can get you in. Uh, we can uh, get hold, in. Hold, hold there, on. A call. We'll, hold we'll hold
0: a on. I've got to fix. There we go. All right. Uh, something was going wrong there with uh, – with somebody trying to dial out, I think. Um, I think it's ENG. Uh All right. We'll try again. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So the um, shop's getting caught up. and Decent-sized jobs we can bring in from the 18th on, and then smaller jobs up until then, and give us a call. We have some open spots we can squeeze in for an overhead or a boost check or codes, you know, the smaller stuff. So we're starting to get caught up a little bit in the shop finally. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. And parts have been pretty good We've had some issues with parts not like we were having. They seem to be kind of random stuff, a little oddball. Okay. You know, that we can't get. But overall, it hasn't been a problem.
0: Yeah. It's coming along. All right. Well, that's, uh, I wish that was the case with, with RV shops. I, I had a couple little issues that I really needed to get fixed, and I didn't feel like doing it myself. I can't find anybody. Everybody is just weeks out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we're not, we're finally for a while there. I mean, we were months out, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's this week's full. Um, and next week I got some, you know, open days here and there for smaller stuff. So better than what it was.
0: Yeah. There you
2: go. All right. Anything else going on?
1: Uh, that's it for me. Leroy. Mm,
2: I might have funny story time. Um, well, sure. Everyone enjoys funny story time. Of course we do. Go ahead. So we have in the shop, X 15 Peterbilt and it's equipped with three batteries. And uh, the guy says, I guess, I don't know why I said the three battery parts to start with. I'm jumping to the end of the story. Anyways, it, it came in because it doesn't want to start and it has a bunch of erratic electrical issues. And the thing that we tend to start with is check the connections and check the grounds. And it's time we hear sort of erratic things where, well, the headlights don't work always, or, the taillights will blink or the engine will sometimes work. And then I get weird check engine lights. You're looking for something that is sort of attached to everything. Uh, and Usually that starts with power and ground because ground is attached to everything electrical. And so it's power. So you want to kind of check there. And we started by checking the grounds and, you know, how we do that is we, we measure continuity from the negative post in the battery to the something metal on the cab, or one of my favorites is the metal ring on the outside of the uh, cigarette lighter. That's a great place to check cab ground, cause typically that plug itself is ran right to a, a metal stud that's just you know, um, with a, usually like a self self tapper that goes right to the the cab. Okay, that's usually a great place so anyway we started poking around and we, we had noticed that when you turn the key on that the deaf light was blinking and on these these Peterbilt cabs anytime you see the red light blinking especially on the deaf gauge some of the other gauges will do it too but on the deaf gauge when that light blinks that means that there is no data communication to the deaf system okay so right off the- and I'm like, okay, there's, there's something weird here. We're not getting connection. Something's not powering up. And, and the truck won't start. And the other clue is the odometer and everything just reads dashes. There's no numbers. There's no hours, no mileage, no nothing. And upon further investigation, we found that the fuse panel on the outside of the truck, meaning the one that's under the hood, only had like six volts going to the fuses. I'm like, ah, six volts that's like weird. On, on a 12-volt well, that's that ain't right. Yeah. And I look up at the, uh, the connection to it, and there's this big rusty bolt that's on it. I'm like, man, I found it. We just got to clean up that connection. It's the power to the fuse box. Well, we take it apart, clean it up, and put it back on, and it really wasn't that bad. And it's still six volts. Hmm. Okay, now we, we have to keep tracing it back. We go to the next connector. It's six volts of that connector. And this is just sort of a general rule for like troubleshooting electrical things, especially like low voltage. You just have to keep going back until you find the source and the source was in the battery box. And like I had mentioned, it had three batteries and we go across and we're like, okay, well, well, what's the battery voltage? Like, does it right. go to like a fuse box? Like what is here? And we go across and we got 12 volts, in one battery, 12 volts in the next battery and six volts on the third battery. Really? <laughs> like, well, there's our problem. Yeah. And somebody had just put batteries in this truck. Huh? Okay. And if you know how like parallel and series wired wiring works, When you wire the batteries in parallel, you connect each one of them with the jumper, right? Right. Well, one of the batteries that powered basically most of the truck didn't have the jumper to the next battery. So one (sighs) battery was used to power that whole fuse box, which powers the ECM, the after treatment, the headlights, the taillights, a bunch of things, right? That entire fuse box. But because it wasn't jumped to the next one, it never would get any charge from the alternator. So they put a new battery in at 12 volts, it worked for a while, but never got recharged. So and that battery just continued to drain until you got to that threshold where it would work, not work, work, not work. So were, was there only one battery
0: trying to power everything?
2: Yeah. Well, th- that's the thing. the The one battery kind of just was powering the, that that fuse box, and then maybe a couple of other little. Oh, okay. Things, so the other like two that were wired to the starter. Yeah, the other two were wired to the starter and the alternator and everything yeah. in like, the cab. Out, cab all came up, it was just Holy there was a main cow. wire that came what? off that one battery that went to that fuse box. And yeah. that was the one that wasn't connected. <laughs> oh boy.
0: Yeah. Don't you just love dealing with somebody else's mistake?
2: Well, it in some ways it's easy because when you see new batteries put in, that's a great place to just, start. I mean, it, just in troubleshooting yeah. in general. Like if you start having an issue, check the last place that you just touched. Yeah. You know? Or somebody you else did. Like, well, Cause you're like, yeah, they just put a starter on, they just put batteries on it. And, you know, I was like, Oh, well, what, what did they do? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the ECM never made any noise. I mean, all these modern engines, when you turn the key on, everyone knows the thing makes some strange noises. You hear things moving, right? actuators dancing back and forth, a lift pump might kick on. You turn the key on and nothing would happen. And this is the other part, the other part like damaging part was somebody had done a wiring repair to like an outside air temperature sensor, but they broke the ECM connector. (laughs) And and the way that these connectors work is they have like a latch on them. And inside the latch is attached to a gear and the gear slides uh, sort of like a hooking lock mechanism. So you put the connector on and as you turn the latch to lock it, it sort of grabs grabs the connector and pulls itself on. It's not like you push the connector all the way on, then you push the locking tab. The locking tab is what pulls it into place. Okay. Like uh, I, had a, I had an old um, Trans Am that had like a little electric latch where you put like the trunk down, and then you'd hear a motor la- that would finish like sucking the, right. the trunk down. In. Right. So it's kind of like that, but with the latch. And that was broken, so the ECM connector wasn't even on all the way. <laughs> oh. So because I, I fixed the battery part, and I was like, all right, it's going to start now. You're Right doesn't start. I was like, oh boy, now what? And then that's when we found that the ECM connectors broke because as soon as I started wiggling it, I heard the lift pump come on. I was like, ah, okay. Well, well, in this this, a, uh,
0: yeah. In this story, almost everything you looked at as far as troubleshooting in order was wrong. Like the first post yep. was really rusty. That could have caused all this. Then... Mm-hmm. each time you went to look for something, that wire off, the, the battery's being wired wrong. Obviously, that's a problem. That should have fixed this. So every step you did, you found a problem. But ultimately, yeah. you had to fix, possibly you had to fix all of them to get this working right.
2: Clearly, you had fixed fix the battery wiring. Yeah, and sometimes that's the trouble, like you said with troubleshooting, is you, you feel like you have the aha moment, and then the aha moment leads to another one. Yeah. Where you're just like, well, that was a problem, but that wasn't the problem, you know?
0: Yeah, the, you know what this points out, though, the, the benefit of good troubleshooting techniques. You, you could have wasted a lot of time on this had you done things backwards.
2: Yeah, I mean, and now that you know it's a solution, is you could have been like, well, why didn't you just start with the battery? You know, <laughs> right? But right, there's so many entry points to the troubleshooting tree, especially if you're just doing it freehand, you know, just off the top of your head. Yeah, that um, you can start from anywhere, and they're all going to lead you to the same place. It might have been faster just to start with the batteries, but I guess there are some assumptions there that oh, they just put batteries in, all the connections look clean because they just somebody cleaned them up. Right. I would assume that they hooked them back all back up correctly. Yeah, and, you know, so. and just glancing
0: at it you'd never know you've got to follow the cables around and if you look at it you you just assume people ran the cables correctly
2: yeah and and this like the cable that was off was really hard to see because it was just buried under like loom and zip ties and it was the, i don't i don't fault the guy for missing it, it wasn't like plain as day but yeah mm. It was definitely off. And then that proceeded to to kill all the rest of the batteries because when you h- hook a six volt battery up to the twelve volts, the twelve volt batteries will try try to charge the six volts, so then they all become equal. So then it just drained all the batteries, and now it's just sitting out there, and yeah. the batteries are just <laughs> dead as can be. And that was one of the things I was showing the with the new guy. I was like, the amp gauge in the truck when it's buried at like a hundred and ten amps, or what? What are these? What alternators are? What are the alternators typically rated at? Like a hundred and ten, hundred and forty amps, or something like that. On, on a truck. Uh, is that what
1: they're usually at? I'm not sure.
2: I'm not sure. I know I've seen uh, up in
0: the two and three hundreds, like off ambulance and people who use them, if they've got a big power draw, we had to do something like that when we tried testing the hydrogen. We just couldn't get enough amperage out of the, the alternator. But I think the standard is somewhere between a and 200. I'm just not sure.
2: Yeah. So it it was somewhere in there and <laughs> I'm like, you see the, the the amp gauge on the dash? I was telling the, the new guy this. I was yeah, like, right. when that thing is, that means that the alternator is doing everything it can. It's giving all the chooch, all the steam to try to, like, bring these batteries back to life. It, like, and, those batteries are very dead. It's taking a lot of current to charge them.
0: It, and that's the thing to remember. There's nothing on the truck itself that would ever pull that kind of power. The only thing that pulls that kind of power is trying to charge
2: the batteries. Oh yeah, and plus like if you if you have engine off and key on and like you turn like your i don't know like some sort of ten amp draw right. it's going to go in the other direction it's going go negative, right, so when the needle was on the other side of the map, that means it's trying to charge seventy five amps it's not drawing it's like it trying to charges. charge yeah so it and it typically takes like an hour seems like to to fully or an hour hour and a half to fully charge batteries from dead like that, so we either put it on a battery charger, which is the less fuel or the more fuel efficient way to charge batteries but um yeah it was just it's kind of a mess
0: yeah i I had one of those weird electrical issues yesterday my um, macerator pump went out and it's buried down in the plumbing bay it's hard to get to it's hard to just get it out there's only two bolts with nuts on them but trying to get to them was a total nightmare So I was in there, I don't know, probably a good hour and a half just to get it out. And as soon as I got it out, just for the fun of it, it was still wired and everything was connected. As soon as I got it out, I hit the switch and it worked. (laughs) So now I need another hour and a half to put it back in. It may have just been a loose connector, but I couldn't even find the connector. I mean, I couldn't see where the wires ran to. I couldn't feel it back there until I got the whole pump out. As soon as I got the pump out, it worked. This is probably just a loose connection that reconnected. So I'm just going to go through and check everything and put the stupid thing back in again. I also my of course, if you put it back in, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll make like, work. Well, well, this time I'm gonna at least going to run the wires so I can see the final connector before the pump. Because really what I wanted to do before I took it out, I wanted to check to see if I had power there. I knew I had power at the switch, and then the next connector is right by the pump itself, and I just wanted to see if I had power there, because if I did, then it's just a bad pump. And the pump's only two years old, so I didn't really think uh, that it should have been the pump, but this time I'll make sure I run the wires so that I can get to the connector without taking the pump off, so I could at least check power. That'll- then I have the, the ongoing saga of my indestructible Starlink satellite dish. this thing has been dropped out the window onto gravel. So that's probably a, you know, eight or nine foot drop. I dropped it off the, pulled it off the top of the coach, putting one of my slides out. That's about a 13 foot drop. uh, And it landed in gravel. And I drug it through the parking lot once. That was a stupid mistake. And after all that, it finally just quit working one day. And I couldn't get a new one. And I thought, you know what? with the way I've abused this thing obviously they're not going to cover any of this under warranty so what would it hurt to try to tear this thing apart and see what I can find and tearing it apart is the right word Um, I had to destroy the cover on this thing to get it off I'm sure there's some process of using a heat gun or a heat knife or something but I didn't have any of that and I thought I'm just gonna tear it apart so I tore the cover off it ended up in a hundred pieces and i actually found two loose connectors in there i connected them and it worked again so then i decided i need to recover this thing somehow or it's going to get moisture inside and i didn't get to it because i've been really busy and it the next morning we were supposed to get a rainstorm so i was going to get up early and take it off there and bring it inside and try to waterproof it the rainstorm showed up about six hours early and I woke up and it was just pouring rain and zero signal on the satellite. And I thought, all right, I, I just fried it this time. So after it stopped raining, I brought it in, dried it out, stuck it back up there, and it's working again.
2: <laughs> this is going to be one of those ones where it's it's indestructible until you like drop it off of a stool and then it <laughs> never works again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, survive, it like doesn't survive like a
0: two foot fall. Yeah, I have just abused this thing and it just keeps working. Yeah. So that's a good product. It is. It is the whole service. I can't say enough about it. it's
2: the Best internet service I've ever had. I mean, that would be a great ad. Maybe you can get some like advertising dollars, just I, have like a clip of you, like dragging it behind the RV, like through a gravel. <laughs> <box> <laughs> lot, And then, like, it still works. Every time I post about
0: it with pictures and everything, I always tag Elon Musk. He hasn't responded to me yet though. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. As soon as he does, I'm going to hit him up with that idea though.
2: Yeah. But like, I got a great advertising clip. He might go for it. He we might. Or as
0: Soon as I can get his attention. He only has like, uh, I don't know, forty million followers or something. He should see my message sooner or later.
2: Yeah, but you're you're Kevin Rutherford, though. You that's know that's true. Like that's you got to be at like, top ten on his like top friends list. It's got to count for something. I think so. All right.
0: Hey, I just looked at the uh, board. We've got an awful lot of phone calls. People want to talk to you guys. They what? want to talk to Pete. I don't know about me. We're ready. All right. We're ready. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's get started in Ohio. Les, welcome. Hi. What's on hey, your mind I today?
3: Question, uh, I got a question on a Cummins big, big can that's in our Case IH tractor.
0: Hey, hey okay. Leroy, you were right. It is for Pete. Yep. No, they don't
4: want to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh,
3: at 2500 hours, we cracked a number two piston. And now, so we replace one hole... And now at 4,600 hours, it scored number three and cracked number one and number two. So, what would this time here? I think the reason it scored was I think an injector must have stuck and worst the cylinder down. But why would one and six crack? And this is only a 335
1: horse, 855. Okay. So, the cracks, are they on top of the pistons? Is that where they're at?
3: They're on top, right where the piston is machined out for, like, where the valve... hmm
1: Okay. So, generally, they can crack from heat and pressure. Do you have a pyrometer in the tractor? No. Okay. So, that'd be a good place to start. Let's see what kind of heat we're making. Um, <clears throat> if everything's right, it shouldn't be making heat, but there is some issues then, uh, and the pyrometer's getting hot, that can... The heat cracks can occur from high pyrometer temperature.
3: Okay, I mean usually when it's operating RPM wise, we're, I mean, we're higher than a truck would be. We're 1,800 to 2,200 RPM range, and the only difference is what are the difference between a three-ring piston and a four-ring piston? When we, the one we replaced, at when it cracked the first time, we put a three-ring in, and they look like they're a lot heavier duty on the top, on the top of the piston. Should that be what we should go to when we overhaul it here now?
1: So the three-ring piston is the only thing available from Cummins. Cummins went from the four-ring to a three-ring probably 20-some years ago. So if you found a four-ring piston, it's old stock. Well, this engine's a a
3: 1990. It was made in October of
1: 1990. It might have been three-ring or four-ring back then. But if you buy new cylinder kits, they'll all be three-ring. So Cummins redesigned the piston uh, to reduce friction. One of the reasons, it reduced cost. There's one less ring in the pack. There's uh, one less machine machining on the piston needing to be done. Uh, three okay. And it's fine. And we've not had any problems with the three, a three-ring piston.
3: Okay. So when, this is a CPL 1255. Should we, when we overhaul it, should we, is there a CPL that's better or that's just fine? We just have bad luck? or.
1: So, I mean, I don't see a, We do... Some work on, on equipment. I do most of it on trucks. And these engines are pretty similar. Let me see. this 1255. Yeah, I was say, got going on Got the stone tablets out. Yeah, or got the old manuals out. Here. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> it's got the 14 to 1 piston. So it's got good compression ratio pistons. It's timed if it's the 350. Um, so the pistons are the right pistons that go in there. Uh, the only thing I would do is probably throw the timing down. But changing timing is somewhat of a big job. To slow the timing down far enough, we have to pull the cam out, put a different key in there, and then retime it. And that's you a lot of would, work.
3: You would retard it?
1: Yes. Yeah, we retard timing to reduce cylinder pressure. And keep in mind, a uh, on a truck, they're almost never at full horsepower. Where you're going to be in it quite a bit.
3: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, like I say, it's only got it's got forty six hundred hours on it right now, and I mean everything. The rod bearings look good. The, everything cam looks good. It's just. I just figured maybe these pistons were like you say they're just faulty or this time here at least we caught it. The first time it cracked and went through the exhaust valve and into the turbo. This time here when it's score number three, we can just see they're cracked. They really haven't come apart yet.
1: Yeah, they normally don't come apart. That's pretty uncommon for that to happen. Are they all stock injectors? Yeah. injectors changed.
3: yeah, it's stock I mean, it's from KTH as far as we know, it's uh pump seals never been cut or Anything like that?
2: I mean, you got like hot cylinders, cylinders getting wiped out. Yeah, the,
3: the scoring. Yeah, i think it got lube down. Something happened to the injector this last time. It would be my. It looks good on the outside. I don't see no tip or nothing broke, but the, uh, all the holes were just full of diesel fuel.
1: So anytime you pull a head off, that's not uncommon. So what happens is when you take your rocker box off and you take the load off the injectors, any fuel that's in the cylinder head, and there's a fuel rail through there. It will drip into the piston, so it's not uncommon to see fuel on top of a piston when you remove a cylinder head. Now, that's pretty much okay. normal.
2: On everything. Yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, don't yes, be concerned yeah. about that yeah. aspect. So um, as far as the liner being scored, sometimes a piston oil nozzle either breaking off or getting plugged can cause a liner to score. Um, oil squirts up on the piston to keep it cold. Um, when that breaks, right. it hot and you grab the, the liner and, and then it scores the things liner. Things expand, and then they don't fit. <laughs> yeah. so you want to make sure the piston coolant nozzles are good. Not, you know, okay. Yeah, I, are
3: had one, I had a truck one time where the piston-cooling nozzle broke off, and it lost oil pressure.
1: So if, yeah, it depends on where they break. So the hole is pretty small, but if they break off towards the back, the hole is now much larger, and the loop pump sometimes can't keep up, and... Then you drop oil pressure. So sometimes there's a warning. In your case, the first time there was it, you had low oil pressure, you knew something was up. Some Or if some debris went through it and simply plugged the tip up, you wouldn't get oil in right. that piston. That's a possibility.
3: I mean, they're pretty easy to change. I guess we probably should just change them all.
1: Yep. I put all six new ones in.
2: Yeah, because okay. you're getting hot cylinders. That's why, you know, things are breaking, things are scoring. So but definitely, are, they, are they hot because of the timing? Are they hot because of the injectors are leaking? You know, or the two, whatever. I don't know.
1: So, I mean, it's yeah, time like say- for a 350-horse engine, lower compression pistons, and um, they generally do that in equipment. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with this setup, but you're going to keep it fairly stock. Um,
5: right.
1: Yeah, i definitely get a pyrometer and Let's see once it's built, how hot the, the engine's getting, in case there's an issue. When yeah, I
3: guess,
1: other we, failure yeah, happened, Did you um, check the turbo, see if it was damaged, and replace the turbo?
3: Yeah, I lost you there for a second. What?
1: So the last time when you had that failure and it went through the cylinder head and out the turbo, did it damage the turbocharger?
3: Yeah. Yeah. We had to put a new turbo on it then. So
1: you did replace it. Okay, good.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It locked it clear up.
1: Okay. Because I've had debris damage the exhaust wheel. People don't check for that. And then they, of course, have high pyrometer temperature because of the uh, turbine wheel being damaged. But you don't know that because you don't have a gauge in there. But I still get a okay. gauge on it. Rebuild it back to what it is and throw a gauge on there, or, yeah, pyrometer gauge, and, and see where you're at.
3: Okay. So you would keep with this, just the stock Cummins Pistons if we just get a – where would be the best place to get a good remand or get good aftermarket parts? Can you still
1: – Well, good aftermarket isn't the case. I mean, I would use Genuine Cummins, and we keep them in stock. I okay. A lot of pistons. I'd have to research this out. You can call me after the show and I verify that I have a set, but I, I should have a set for this.
3: Okay. Okay. That'll work. It's all I had today. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Yep.
1: All right.
0: Thanks for the call. Let's move along. We're going to head off to Texas this time. Lyle, welcome to the program.
6: Yes. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's
0: on your mind today?
6: Uh, I uh, lost my old truck, and it was going to cost more to repair it than to buy another one. So I have purchased a 2015 Volvo with 264 rears and the D13 with a lifetime fuel average of 7.9 based on total fuel used in the ECM and miles. Okay. I pull an open step deck, triple axle, do a lot of oversized stuff. So I've got some questions about this engine. I don't know much about them other than what I've listened to you guys talk. So should the dampener be replaced? I have one issue that I've got that I'm wondering about.
0: Oversized, not overweight, right?
6: More um, disorganized instead of weight. Okay. Um, and at 455 horsepower this point.
0: The damper on the Volvo is internal, and I don't know anybody that's replacing them. Pete, have you heard anything different on this?
1: I have not. Yeah, I don't think I know, anybody really replaces because them because at of, all. It'd uh, be a big, expensive job to do.
0: Right. And the other thing I will tell you is, so the, is, for whatever reason, we haven't seen the kind of problems you see in other engines when you don't replace the damper. So, so we're not seeing clutch or transmission issues or, you know, alternators coming loose. and Right. So, so for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to be an important issue at all on that engine.
6: Okay. So at this point, I've had 12 fuel ups. I'm sitting at 6.4, I believe at somewhere around 55 cents cost per mile. What can I do to help improve this? I'm going to put air tabs on it. How
0: many miles uh, are on what this? What
6: else can you do this engine? nine hundred and twenties. When I purchased it.
0: 920, have you done overhead?
6: I have not. I wondered about that.
0: Yeah, I would definitely do an overhead. Make sure you use a good Volvo shop that knows how. I know that seems like a really basic okay. thing, but we see it done um, wrong a lot. I believe this is the engine that might Uh, Maybe not. Um, My concern right now is why the fuel mileage is so off the average. I mean, you're down a mile and a half per gallon. And most of these trucks today and, you know, after 2010 or so, the the fuel mileage numbers on these get pretty accurate. Unless something goes wrong, we've got a sensor way out of whack. Or most of the time, these new trucks are fairly accurate. So somebody's... You're whatever happened, Lyle. Nope. You just got really noisy. Sorry, I've, there we go. A couple things.
6: Fine. One is, uh,
0: I'm sorry. No, you're you're fine. Go ahead. Well, so, a, a couple things that I would check. Um, I would set the overhead. I would. Has anybody tested the charger cooler since you've had it?
6: No, it does build 36 pounds of boost. I know that. Yeah, that off doesn't... It, off the scan gate, that's digital.
0: Yeah, it doesn't tell us anything. I mean, we could still have a boost leak and not, not know it. So, um, and then the other thing, how many miles okay, are no, I have not. Uh, on the oil in this truck?
6: The oil is in the fresh oil. Looks good. I have not sent a sample in, but I'm going to do that.
0: Yeah, you really need to and wait till, of- till almost fifteen to 20,000 miles before we're gonna see anything. But those are the three things I would recommend to see if we can track down why the fuel mileage isn't what it's supposed to be, and then we could start modifying. I don't like to start modifying things until we get all of the maintenance done, everything's been checked and we know it's right, because if you start modifying, you can cover up the problems that are there. It will start to get better fuel economy, it'll go up, we'll think everything's right. So the first step is always Make sure everything that's there is working the way it's supposed to.
6: Okay. So a couple of things I do know about it is when I picked it up, I drove with bobtail home. I drove at 63 miles an hour, and I averaged 7.8. As soon as I hooked the trailer on, the fuel mileage dropped like a rock. Well,
0: it, uh, it should. I mean, Bob Ta- I, I've had trucks get 14 miles to the gallon bobtailing. And I, Joel's probably been up over 15 at times bobtailing. So we expect that, okay. and that's going to drop significantly when you put a trailer on it. No doubt about it. That's exactly what we would right. expect. But both numbers that you're telling me are much lower than I would expect to see out of this truck right now. The bobtail number at 7.8 uh, is not good at all. I mean, hell, that, that isn't even... Okay. That isn't even matching the lifetime fuel mileage of this truck pulling freight around.
6: Exactly. That just blew my mind. Yeah. So, so so I've got one issue that I'm curious ahead. about on this truck, and that is under power, it vibrates the entire truck. It's not a what I would call a deep vibration. It's more like a buzz, if that makes sense. What would cause that?
0: Oh, boy. Vibrations could be all over the place. I mean, we could go back to the the damper, but I don't think that's the case. And, and the damper usually doesn't create what you're describing, a high-frequency vibration. We, we can describe vibrations by frequency, how often it happens. A buzz is a fast, high-frequency vibration. Most likely, it's driveline but you can start to troubleshoot this yourself a little bit. You said it's only under power, you feel it?
6: Right. As soon as you let off the gas, why, well, it smooths out. It's, it disappears.
0: Uh, then that's less likely to be driveline, and it is more likely to be something in the engine itself. Loose motor mounts, maybe. Um, Pete, any, any other thoughts on a high speed? High frequency vibration only under power?
1: So, one thing I would roll out would be getting air into the fuel with a sight glass. So sometimes the air in the fuel can make it feel like it's got a vibration. That's, it's just easy to roll out. You do a the good test, one. hey, it's good. I don't have to look there anymore. Let's you know, move on to something else. So I would, like you said, get the overhead set, take an oil sample, uh, check for a boost leak, and have them check for sucking air because that can affect fuel mileage as well.
0: We can't. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. That may be the uh, an issue for both of these things. That makes sense. It, you know, I said it's probably not driveline, but we can't rule it out. I've seen some U-joints that would only do that under power, and when they coast, you don't feel it. But I would move driveline down the list, and I think I'd focus on engine right now. And that site class is a great place to start.
3: With
1: that I'm on amount okay, of driveline, you know, not out of the ordinary for it to have a problem with it. Right. I mean, it should probably be checked. Um, like you said, the the carrier bearings, make sure they're good, make sure the U-joints are good. Probably should have the drive shafts straightened and balanced at that point as well.
6: Right. Oh, okay. And do they have, like, polished exhaust for these trucks, playing chance? Uh,
1: you mean a manifold?
6: No. Oh, okay. All
1: right. Unfortunately, we really don't have much for the full volume. Yes. So, I was wondering...
6: as. Uh, the reason I'm in this truck is because of my old truck, but I was wondering if I could ask a couple of questions. Signature Series coming 600 ISX.
0: Sure. Go ahead.
6: The oil pump in March lunched, and obviously the oil from the oil air pump is used by the engine or comes from the engine. And when that lunched, it put trash in the engine and got the head and bearings and everything else. Is there... How do you determine whether you could actually ever use that engine or not? I mean, it evidently plugged the oil passages to the head, uh, and it ruined the cam. And this was a new engine purchased a year and a half ago. didn't have 110,000 miles on it. Uh, it was a, a block with the head included with the engine, pistons all included with it when I put it in the truck. And then we just added the accessories.
1: What, did the air compressor fail or the fuel pump?
6: The air compressor.
1: Air compressor. Okay, so I mean, that happens, and they will. It, the oil goes from the engine through the air compressor, and of course drains back into the pan. So if you do have a failure with the air compressor, you can get pieces into the oil. Now, generally it generally, goes from the pan to the loop pump to the filter. So the filter really should have caught most of that. I'm surprised that okay, much not through the filter.
6: Okay, so my first clue was oil pressure went down to 22. And, uh, and it's what we need to under load. That's under load, or just driving down the road at sixty-five. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's low. It's definitely low.
6: And so-, so when we pulled the valve cover off, the camshaft was destroyed, and the bearing, uh, rod bearings had wear in them, a lot of wear in them, even though it doesn't even have hundred thousand on the engine. So, did you
1: spin any bearings? I mean, the main bearing or rod bearing? None of them spun.
6: Best that we could tell, they did not.
1: Okay, so if that's the case, then the block and cranks are still usable. And basically, when we would run into an issue like that, um, we, we would just flush out the, the oil system with with a solvent. Okay. Once we got everything tore apart and replace the um, the oil cooler, um, probably loop up needs replaced. Um, anything oil-related could have fouled the turbocharger, the aircraft, all that would need to replace. But I don't see why the block and crank would not be usable
6: again. Oh, you'd need to replace the turbocharger as well?
1: Yeah, so if the debris went through the engine and damaged it, it's definitely going to affect the turbo because uh, the turbo has oil going through it. And with the right. heat okay. speed, they're pretty sensitive to dirty oil. So I wouldn't take a chance with the turbo with a failure like that. Oh, I see. Okay.
6: And what about the head? How do you determine whether a head is? you get a stuff pulled up and have a mic or I, well, whatever? You a, you
1: a machine shop, and they would inspect it and see if – they would check it for okay. flatness. They would check it for cracks and magna flex it, um, mic all the valves, see if everything's in spec, and go from there. With the low mileage, the heads would be usable.
6: Right. Has Cummins changed that as far as the oil going to the air pump?
1: No. All engines, um, Cat Cummins, Detroit uh, – get oil you know, from the engine to the air compressor, and then you know drains back into the block.
6: Okay. So possibly the engine could be salvageable to rebuild.
1: Yeah, as long as you don't have a spun bearing, I would certainly
6: think so. Okay. I appreciate it. That's what I had today. All right. You're Thanks
0: welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Alabama. Bill, welcome to the program.
3: How are you all doing today?
0: Good. What's on your mind?
3: Just got a Quick question, and then I will get off. Hey, I got an X15, and what would you guys suggest changing out the? Because I'm hearing like different numbers. Changing out the OPS and the uh, and the oil filter on the engine.
0: I I, I perf- I'd like twenty five thousand on the OPS and sample there, and then fifty thousand on the full flow filters.
3: Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, that was quick enough. All right, I appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Minnesota. Richard, welcome.
5: Hey, guys. Uh, I got a couple questions, uh, pretty quick questions. Uh, one running an overhead, do I have to, on a 12.7 Detroit 99 model, uh, do I have to take the J brakes off to do the overhead?
1: You do not, just the valve cover.
5: Okay. Uh, uh, On injectors, I've been having real bad high-fuel dilution on this engine ever since I've got it. I changed the injectors uh, on my first uh, oil sample, and it seemed to do better, but then it went right back up. Um, I've been trying to find somebody that can test them, and I found a company in uh, Jacksonville, called diesel logics that can they they say that they rebuild the injectors and they bench test them to make sure that they're they're not leaking and all that that stuff is that something that can be done actually be done uh, or do y'all do that such things or not
1: so we don't do electronic injectors here but there are shops that have the equipment to do it and fuel dilution on a 12-7 is pretty common I guess, I guess it would depend on how high it is and what mileage intervals. If it's 2 or 3% at 25,000 miles, it's going to be impossible to find. We just can't find it. Um, you're at 10% at 15,000 miles. The chance of finding it's a whole lot better. We see a lot of fuel dilution issues in 12.7s.
5: Yeah. Mine, uh, let me pull it up here real quick. Mine has been, been, been in the high fours. And uh, let me see I'm pulling it up right now. My first sample was January 23 or this year. Uh, 5.3, and it goes down from there. 5.3, 3.7, 4.6, 4.8, and 4.4 was my last one.
1: And how many miles were on the oil at each time?
5: Um, these were uh, start the first one. I, okay, loop time was 14,000, 20,000, 19,000, 23,000, and 23,000. Okay. So nothing crazy. I normally like I normally like to try to sample at around about twenty thousand mm-hmm. and then when I get my uh, sample back that determines whether or not if I'm gonna change it or not. And so normally I'll I'll change it anywhere from twenty-three to twenty-five thousand.
1: Okay. So when you're up in the five percent range, it should be a little easier to find. I mean, we a couple methods. One you take the valve cover off and you dump dye in the fuel and you run the truck, and you shine a black light over the valve train and see if you can isolate which injector is causing it. If all of a sudden all the oil starts to glow, like in a fluorescent color, then we know it's the loop pump because it's leaking – I'm sorry, the uh, fuel pump. It would be leaking fuel from the fuel pump right into the oil, and then you'd see it everywhere. If it's an injector, you'll just see it at that one injector or two injectors, depending on how many are bad.
7: It's definitely
1: okay. a 12-7 issue.
5: All right. So um, do y'all sell that dye?
1: Yeah, we have it. I mean, most shops do, and any local shop should handle it, with stuff, but you do need a black light to run over the uh, valve train, so you have to have a black light okay. for this to work.
5: Okay, and I'll and just put that into the fuel filter, where the fuel filter's at? The,
1: so what we do is, and, we will dump a bottle into five gallons of fuel, um, and then make a hose from the pump to the five gallons of fuel, just a separate uh, oh,
5: okay. amount of
1: fuel, and then fire the truck up with the valve covers off, and you'll just keep shining the black light over it to see which injector is doing it.
5: Okay. All uh, right. All right. And uh, I, I think that's all I needed for right, for right now, then.
1: All right. Yeah.
0: Thanks for the call. Hey, I don't get to do this often, but we have breaking news. What's that? As of 8.04 Pacific How time this morning, Lisa and I are grandparents again. We have a new granddaughter. Uh,
2: congratulations. Congratulations.
0: Yeah, Hannah Grace. All right. That's exciting. Now I need to get home. Sure is. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Sure. Where are you at now? Uh, what state are you at?
0: Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
1: you
3: got a bit of a cruise.
0: Yeah, I um, do. I yeah, I'll be here till Friday. I'll take off Saturday morning, and on Tuesday I've got uh, a speaking engagement in Boise, so I got to kind of get there fairly quick. And then once I'm done with that, I'm only about eight hours from home, so that'd be good. Soon, yes, I need back to it. The gorge. Yeah, back to the gorge. Hey.
1: You know, yeah. we're, this gentleman was talking about the oil analysis with um, the fuel in it. Um, while Eric was off uh, over the holidays, I was doing the oil samples. So if Polaris Lab flags an oil sample they send it to us, and we call the customers of service to give them a heads up. Yeah. And what I was shocked at, how many of them had dirt injected. There was quite a few. And I know last week on the show, we had, you read an, an oil analysis in the silicon was high on it
0: really I, high I, too if i remember yeah, right the one is. on the air was like 30 something wasn't it Mm-hmm. yeah
1: it was funny, i didn't think about it that much i'm thinking oh these these samples i don't normally read them for eric usually handles that but he was off so i'm like yeah it seems like a lot that's kind of weird um but we th- see things in cycles didn't think yeah. much about it until eric mentioned to me when he started doing it again he was getting a lot with high silicon So we're, you know, this time of year, I mean, I don't think they're using much salt yet. We've only been salted here once or twice. Maybe out west they're using a lot more salt. I don't
0: really ever see that. All right. Yeah, when we see a lot of chemicals in the wintertime, we tend to see either potassium or sodium by itself. And and both can show up, and and that's because some of the chemicals we put on the road are either sodium-based or potassium-based. So that makes sense. And when we see just one, we know it's not coolant. And that happens more in the winter time, but I can't think of a single reason to see a rash of dirt in engines.
1: No, but um, we're seeing it. Like I, said, I would call each day. You know, I'd get a couple calls, or my email, yep. a couple guys that were flagged. That I was surprised. Now, nothing crazy high. Yeah, I always have them check the intake piping, yeah. you know, the air filter, the But higher than what? It, but, like you said, it shouldn't be anything.
0: Have we identified a certain engine or truck?
1: It's been In that case, it's random. You know, like oil in the fuel, we pretty much guess it's a 12.7. Yeah. And we, we see that all the right. time. If we're low on base, I generally see that in the DD platforms. Um, but this third case, it was random engines.
0: We're actually seeing low base in, on a lot of samples now. It, it It's become I, a really, really common thing.
1: And it was, you know, a year or two ago, it seemed to be only on the Detroit... DD-15s and 13s, now it seems to be on. I'm seeing them on ISXs more frequently than what I did before.
0: So I think one of two things needs to happen. Either the manufacturers need to put more base in the oil because we're running extended drains now on almost everything, or the labs need to check to make sure their range is correct now. Mm -hmm. It seems like something has changed.
1: And I haven't seen a pattern where it's just... Oh, it's only Shell Rotella or no. only Delvac. Not no, seeing any correlation to a brand of oil. It's across the board.
0: Most of them start off with about the same amount of base. And one of the things I should probably check is: has that number dropped with all these new oils? Are they just not putting as much base in as they used to? It, it, it doesn't make sense that these engines are using more base. They should be using less. They're well tuned. They're running good. We should be seeing less base used, so I'm almost wondering if they're just not putting as much in. It's possible.
1: Yeah, then you're right. The older engines, because of. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, they didn't have the timing controls and right. the fuel like they have now. It's so precise. I'm surprised we didn't see that years ago. Right. I never thought about mention that, and we we did not have a base issue with the old engines. That no, it was pretty existed. rare. It
0: was, it, you know, the times we would see it is on on those engines where people were going a hundred and fifty, two hundred plus thousand miles on the same oil, and then you will eventually wear out that base and you add to it. But we're seeing these things got. Fifty or 60,000 miles on the oil at best, and the base is almost gone.
1: I'm seeing it, you know, not gone, but dropping even before the recommended oil change from the factory.
0: Right, right. That's what I mean. Something something needs adjusted in the system, I think.
1: Now, fortunately, that's a, an easy fix with the TBN right.
0: additive. Right, yeah. That's why Compared we don't to get too excited process. about it's it, because easy. it's easy to fix. Yeah,
1: I am... Or, and it's not...
0: Expensive. I'm much more concerned about this dirt.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yep. we
0: got to figure that one out because that just seems to be new, and I don't. There's just no good reason for that that I can think of. A, I was thinking if it's a certain model of truck or engine we're seeing it on, maybe their air filter just isn't all that great. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to see if we've got one of these trucks that consistently shows up with high dirt. What would happen if we put a fleet air filter in it?
1: Yeah, and that's something I need to, you know, we don't see that on the oil sample, whether it has a fleet air or not. I probably right. shouldn't ask
0: people that. And if they don't, um, it would be interesting to see what would happen if they had one.
1: Because hmm. if, sure
0: on if, yeah, if, if it goes away, then it's a poor design. Yeah, if it goes away, it would just be a poor design of their air filter.
1: Okay, it's a simple fix.
0: Yeah, all right. Um, we are down to our final call. I am uh, I'm fine wrapping this up today if we're out of calls, but if you want to join us, 319-527-6791. Let's go to Texas TJ. Welcome.
4: Hey, what's happening, Kevin?
0: Hey, my Starlink saga.
4: Yeah, I love that story. I'm going to hey. get into that in a minute, but but first, I'd like to congratulate you on here. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, it is. We we've been waiting patiently, so it's pretty exciting. I wish I was there, though.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. I've uh, I've seen three of them live and in person, right up front, the front row. I had the front row seat to three of them. There you go. Uh, but yeah, that Starlink. So it's it's very very durable. Yes. And the reason I know that is because I flat mounted mine. Uh, you know, so I did the, the garage flat. You know, did it in my garage, and I cut it down, and then. What that what you have to do is you have to get a Star Mount Systems um, flat mount kit. So is, basically, it's a it's a, yeah. Have you seen this Star Mount? Is company? that the one have that's? At them? Is
0: that the one that's got its own built-in battery?
4: Well, no, not that one. This is the one from the um, the off-road racer, the Baja racer named Brandon. And he, you know, during their racing down in Mexico, he thought, well, I'd love to, you know, live stream my races. Yeah. So him and some buddies, they, they designed a way to flat mount it inside the spare tire on top of the off-road vehicle. Okay. Okay. So then, and they were so successful and they realized these Starlinks, they work on, just flat mounted. They right. don't even need the motor inside there that, that rotates it to catch the satellite. There's, the satellites are so far away that the amount that that thing moves is it doesn't really doesn't matter. Doesn't affect anything, yeah. Okay, it doesn't matter whatsoever. So, what you do is you cut that, you, you get rid of this stand, you cut it down to one inch thick with your Dremel, okay. right? And they the kit, when you get the Star Mount Systems kit, it comes with all the measuring devices. It's basically oh, okay, a, you take a like a template, an electric, almost. Uh, like a, a, a black electric tape roll and a marker. And you lay it face down, you know, with the t- with the front side down on the table, and then you just trace around it with um, with a uh, a marker and the black electrical tape, and it just kind of scoots around it, gives you your line, and then you you cut that out, you cut the whole stand right off, and the motor comes off, and then you're looking inside of it at the backside of the panel, and this is where I thought I got too close to something, and. Um, and I thought I heard something, but it turns out i yeah, I wasn't even close to damaging it when I did it, so anyway, so then you put it inside the star mount systems kit, the little polyurethane compartment, okay, and then it's it's one inch thick and it's the same size as the dishy, right it's like whatever two foot wide by three foot long, whatever that is, yeah and and then you replumb the wires and you and you basically use sticky tape to stick it to the you know so it's not flopping around in there you stick, stick it to the star mount okay. system and then you put it back together, and then around the top of it you just there's a bunch of screws, and you just screw them all in and it, and, it, and it's got a uh, a plastic clear cover so, so then now you can put it anywhere and, and so it's you, you can just lay it on the top of it you, you could lay it out on the ground or you could lay it on top of your picnic table. Or you can lay it on top of the coach. Um, what I chose to do is I just I three M taped it to the top of my coach.
0: That's a good and idea. It, it,
4: you know, and that, yeah, and then I just don't yeah. worry about like if I can't park in a place where that thing works, then I didn't need to use the satellite anyway. You don't know well, see, I, yeah, I can't so, do
0: that though. <laughs> I've got the show every day. I know you. And, and it's it, it, it's harder than you might think to find a wide open space to park every time.
4: Yeah, maybe it's because I just I do a lot in the Midwest, like. You know, Boise, South Dakota, Wyoming, Canada. Canada, I guess it could get into some trees. But Tennessee, there is a lot of trees, I suppose. So, anyways, that thing surprises me every time, though. I'm shocked. uh,
0: Yeah, I would have thought this thing was far more sensitive than it is. Now, I wish I would have had this um, advice before I decided to destroy mine. Because mine has no front cover on it now, no top cover.
4: So So if I would have have cut out the
0: back, I still would have been able to get to those connectors that were loose because I did have to tear it apart to get it working once. And I didn't think about cutting into the back. I started to remove the cover. And at some point, it just started breaking apart. And I just decided, well, this thing's probably never going to work again anyway. And I'm sure I don't have any warranty on it. So I just tore the whole cover off. And like the first three layers under there. I didn't even put those back on. It, I think the, the top couple of layers might be the heating grid because it's got that heating mode because I, I didn't even yeah. put three layers of this stuff back on and everything still works fine, but it's not waterproof. So I, I need to figure out a new top cover and then waterproof it.
4: So that's, that that's, was my idea. I'm like, if this thing's banged up, destroyed. The star mount system, that, that thing comes with the cover and it comes with the bottom. You oh, basically,
0: so it does have a could, top cover.
4: It, it, yeah, it's got, it comes with a top cover and a bottom cover. So you can oh. basically take the guts out of it, throw it into the star mount, and then just zip it together because it screws to itself. Oh, so the star okay. mount systems, all those screws, they go around the edge, and you would just, yours would be kind of cool. It'd be like you'd be able to look through the clear top and see yeah, all would. the interior parts of it. Yeah, it would. Yeah, that's your solution. I think it's two or three or four hundred dollars, whatever it is. It's worth every penny. I'm going to get that. Because you could, you could literally cut the back off of yours, put the, the guts into this one-inch thick thing, and, and you'd be all set.
0: Now, there is another one somebody sent me that was kind of interesting, but it's really expensive. It's like 2,400 bucks. So you can either send this company the the Starlink dish you already have and they'll build it out of yours, or you can just order one from them. Uh, I think that adds like $600 if you order it through them. Um, But they mount theirs into this box and it is flat mounted, like you said, the motors all go away, there's no stand anymore. It's mounted into this box. But this box also has all of its own connections, and I think there's a router in there, if I remember right. But it's even got its own power supply. It's got its own backup, or it's got its own battery. So, like, I could just go stand out in a field with this thing in my laptop, and the battery runs the Starlink for, like, 10 hours. So you could be anywhere. You don't even need power, and you could run this thing. But I just don't think I want to spend that much money. I don't think I'd use that feature all that often
4: after doing this with starmount and Brandon that he's a, you know he's an entrepreneur he answers his cell phone when you call Oh, walk nice. you through everything I nice. would go, he's one of the he he's provided the best service i mean I just did this on my own with no help but calling starmount and talking to Brandon the owner oh nice like he's the but, he's really helpful so well, and for three hundred dollars or whatever it is, yeah, it, it'll it, This will work. Well, that's cheaper than me also do what getting I did, a new which dish. Was, was change the cat? Um, say again.
0: That well, that's cheaper than me getting a new dish.
4: Oh yeah, no, and I would, and like I said, they're bulletproof. So this is the way I would go, and I would, um, and, and I would change it to. Hey, the ends on the, cord, the on the OEM Starlink cords, the ends are very, very fragile. Yes, so they are. So you, you chop those ends off and just put cat six ends on it, and then you can unplug and plug it wherever you want. That's you a great idea. You can build your idea. own cord, one for this area and one for the top of the coach. So I have two cords. I have one that is routed and plumbed through the ceiling, right, and watered and, tight. So you can't just take that out. If I did want to throw my my Starlink off on the picnic table, I wouldn't be able to, except that I got... When I ruined one cable, I kept it. But then I realized I can just turn these into Cat 6 plugs, connectors. Like you'd plug your what phone did, in the wall. How did you, know, you figure school, that out? They're Cat 6. Huh?
0: How did you figure that out, that you could just convert this to Cat 6?
4: Brandon at Star
1: Mountain.
0: Is that custom, right?
4: Who's a badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's hey, like, no, 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 no. He, hey, I was freaking let, out. I said, do I need to? Let, okay. I said, okay, I screwed this up. Could, what do I got to do, buy a new Starlink? And he said, no, just convert it to Cat 6. And uh, do this and that, and then I accidentally ordered the wrong piece because he's got two pieces that y- the second one is for convenience, the first one is what you need, but there's a second piece that's more for convenience, so I can move mine from the 3M tape. I I don't have to destroy my 3M tape. I can take mine off the top of the coach with two screws. Oh, okay. So that- but that's an additional two or three hundred dollars. So. So if you want to spend 300, you'll be in, in business. If you want to spend 600, you'll be in better business. I, um, but I, I, either way, I swear by that guy. I love
0: the idea of two cables. So if I'm out in the open, I can just leave it up on top, and if I need to, I can take mm-hmm. it off and put it out in the field somewhere. Um, so I, I think exactly. we, I think we should all say this together. I, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Okay, we're we're gonna say, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> One, two, three. three. Let's, Let's go, go Brandon. Brandon. There we go. So, Man, that sounds awesome. Yeah,
4: by the way, I, I got to apologize to your call screener because she heard me cussing on the other end of the phone when I couldn't hear her. So, And the reason that I cuss <laughs> is the same reason I sing the song Let's Go, Brandon whenever I'm mad. I don't really, like, I'm not really cussing. I'm just cussing to myself. So that I can get the get it out there. But the hope is that no one's listening to me. So anyway, she got to see my second personality today and that was fun.
0: Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet Angie enjoyed it.
4: Yeah, but my I apologize. All it, right. It, it won't happen
0: again. Well that um that's awesome news. Now I just need to find the time. well, I'll probably wait till I get back on this. But I, I am definitely going to do me that. Don't make Drop
4: because, ship you one. I'll drop I, ship you one faster than let's truck can send me my cardio miracle. You would have
0: Ooh. to, you would have to get it here. Well, I need time to work on it. You'd have to get it here tomorrow, because on Thursday right, I got. I'll
4: have, I'll send it. I'll send it to my sister in in Boise and have her have her husband install it. He's very techy and he watched me do this. Now that would be awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be perfect because I'll be in Boise for a day or two. So. We'll see, but this is a this is a great tip. I, I kept thinking this dish is just toast. You know, this thing is gonna stop working any day now, and I'm gonna have to get a new one. And getting a new one isn't even easy. Like, I, I, I it, the dish is is attached to the account, so you can't just go order a yep. new dish.
4: Yep, you gotta change everything. You gotta yeah. change all your information. Yeah,
0: but now that uh, I know but, that, but, but, that that as long as the guts are working on this thing, you can do just about anything with it. It sounds like.
4: Oh, yeah. And by the way, if I was if I bought a truck and it used to have like an England truck or a big mega carrier truck, if I ended up with one of these trucks that has the satellite mount, attached, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. They, 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 they take the Qualcomm away, but they leave the mounting bracket up there. Right. I'd put a Starlink on there. That'd be, I'd literally just put it, a Starlink right there. It is and by it far work.
0: the best Internet solution I've found, even at home. And mobile, nothing else even comes close. I I did see they're they're like bringing out their Gen three router. That thing looks like a UFO. Looks pretty high tech.
4: Yeah, yeah. No, it's so, it's, it's a great product. And like I use mine. My coach is parked on one end of the house, and then my other internet is part is was out the, the other end of the house. So I have. Oh, there you
0: go. Yeah, that's part those, of the um, you know repeaters or whatever they're called. Yeah, part of the <laughs> new extenders. Part of the new router is it comes already ready for what they call mesh. Mesh is where you can add the extenders and, and get your internet out as far as you want. So I guess that's going to be standard on the new router. Interesting. Yeah.
4: All right, TJ. Right good All stuff. All right, well, happy trails.
0: All right. I'm going to work on that. Thank you. Take care. All right. Let's go to uh, Texas. Sterling, welcome. Hey, good morning. How are you doing, Kevin? Doing good. What can we help you with today?
8: Yeah, I have a dilemma. Um, I quit my company job and uh, ended up buying a 1994 cab-over Freightliner, and it's it was an old movie truck that hauled lighting and stuff. So it's got a 28 foot box on it okay. with a big lift gate. So I I think what I'm looking at is maybe doing like some LTL freight or expediting freight with the truck. And uh, I'm just trying, I've come across a little dilemma because I've, <laughs> a gentleman has offered to give me a $21,000 profit if I sell the truck to him. Okay, how much oh, did you pay for it? How many you, miles are on it? It's got 125,000 miles on a rebuilt uh, 3406 E-CAT. How uh, many miles on the truck?
0: thousand miles on the truck. See, I... It always bothers me a little bit when an engine's rebuilt that soon. Those engines were million miles plus, and they rebuilt it at six hundred or five hundred and some thousand. That always worries me a little bit. Uh, I I don't mind old equipment if it's in good shape, but a '94 with that many Um, miles—what did you pay for this?
8: Uh, um, Let's see. I, I bought it. $7,000, Seven thousand and then I rebuilt the tranny and did some work to it. How much have you so got, got into it? In it. You got, got eighteen. 18.
0: Minutes. He's willing to pay you thirty Yeah. All right. I I I would probably sell it. In fact I'm almost positive I okay. would sell it. That that um I don't know why he'd be willing to pay that much for this. But let me ask you this though. You said you think you're yep. going to do some LTL or some expediting. Have you? Do you have a lead on any of that kind of freight? LTL? Do you mean
8: local or? Yeah, there's. Uh, it it just this um, it, this just kind of happened. I was actually taking care of my mom. I had to quit my job to take care of my mother, who's 80 years old. And uh, I had bought this truck prior to that. And just had plans of – I've got a couple leads on some companies where it's just shuttling some freight, but it's it's not a uh, real good freight. I'd have to rely on load boards and things like that and probably get a little bit well, further away than I'd want I, I, to. I, I can tell you you're not going to find a whole lot for a
0: 28-foot box on the load boards. Right. right. It, it, I, that's it, it, what I'm running into. Well, it, it And that's kind of what I – Kind of what I was wondering, if you had very specific freight that this truck makes sense for, and it doesn't sound like you do. I don't have that lined up right now, no. Well, you may not be able to find it. That, that's the concern for right. me. That That isn't easy freight to find. LTL, not only is it not easy to find it, it's really hard to manage it. And if you don't have any experience in that, it can be a disaster. Expediting is a whole different world. It's hard to expedite without a team because expedited freight right. it needs to get there fast. That's the whole point. They don't want you taking your ten-hour break while their freight sits there. So, and yeah, I, I I would sell this thing even if you want to move forward with this business plan, And there are better trucks out there than this one.
8: That's what I, uh, it's not aerodynamic at all. <laughs> uh, and there's, the only other option was uh, household moving, which I have done that. It'd be real good for that. Where are you going to get that work? Um, I would have to lease on with a company. And then uh, there's, I do have a couple contacts in that industry. So I- I'm some just... private, smaller companies that need moves done.
6: They yeah, basically
8: it, kind of broker. These it, you you really got the cart before the horse here. Get by. I and, did. I, I, just, I, I bought the truck as a plan B, and all of a sudden it moved to A pretty quick.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was ready. Um, really, what you need if you want to be in business, you, you got to go find the work first. Now, look, if this was just exactly. over the over the road with a tractor, no big deal. That works all over the place. But it sounds to me like you're looking for more local. This is just a straight truck. It, that's a whole different world. And it, regionally, yeah. this changes a lot. That's what I'm saying. There's some parts where if you live, this truck would be almost worthless.
8: Right, exactly. It's a very special. It's going to work for a niche right. market. You're moving, Which is
0: fine if, product. if you have that niche market. Right now, you don't and it may not exist where you are. So I I would sell right. this thing and start over and work on your business model before you buy anything.
8: Yeah, put the horse in front of the cart. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> yeah. But I okay. but you know, it
0: worked out great. You you're, you're going to make $21,000 on this. Congratulations.
8: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a really clean truck and I've done all kinds of—the guy's getting a good truck, too, but he, he runs older equipment, and he apparently has a niche for it.
0: So. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe since you already own the truck, maybe really work hard on seeing if there is freight in your area that's going to make sense with this truck. Shouldn't take you that long, a week or two of of really going out and beating on some doors and checking some things. And maybe you do put together some freight, and this truck makes sense, and you already have it. But
8: And the other option? One option I was looking at was I could pull the box off
0: of it and put a fifth wheel on it too. And then, what kind of freight are you going to go pull?
8: Well, then I'd just be pulling regular. I could hook up to any trailer. Right, you're
0: mostly going to be over the road. Local freight as an owner operator yeah. is tough to find in a lot of places. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's what I'm running into. I've yeah, i mean and, and knocking
8: on doors. But I mean, you have you, to
0: really put something. You've got a fairly expensive modification. You can't just pull the box off. You got to cut the frame and move all the drive line.
8: Well, it's weird on these or on these cab overs. They love them. The longer the frame, the better. <laughs> and then they they actually bring more money than I'm asking. For it, yeah, but I, I'm not. I'm not talking about selling it. I'm
0: talking about building an efficient truck, and the last thing you want is a big, long frame that puts your trailer way behind you. kills your aerodynamics. Oh,
8: oh, I agree. No, it doesn't make sense.
0: And it's (laughs) difficult to get into places with the long wheelbase, and what's the point? I've never understood the point of the big, stretched-out frames. I
8: I see them hauling cattle trailers. (laughs) Uh, It's really weird. It doesn't make sense, but I guess... You guys like it. <laughs> it it, it yeah. makes
0: no sense whatsoever. There's no good reason to do it. It makes the vehicle far less efficient, less maneuverable. It, it's a it's an image oh. thing. Is all it is. Yeah, it's
8: a it's a it's to be different.
0: I guess. It, it, I it, it, yeah. It. it I, I'm just not into creating an image in in my business that doesn't nobody That's, else cares about. None of that's your customers visible. could care less about any of that stuff. That, that's All of that stuff on a truck. And look, if people want to do this stuff to them, I'm not telling anybody not to, but it, all of that is an yeah. ego thing. The chrome, the hoods, the stretched out frames, it, it, it's all just an ego thing. Your customers could care less.
8: That's an expensive ego. <laughs>
0: well, it is. It really is. But, it, but, you know, if people want to do it and they can afford it, knock yourself out. I just don't look at yeah. business, business that way. That's an awful lot of profit to lose year after year after year for looking good in somebody's eyes. Most people just don't care. Yeah.
8: Okay. Well, I think you answered my question. I, and I knew that wasn't – it's really not a – you can't even – Get your pants on in the morning in a cab over.
0: I, I kind of love cab overs, but it, it's not really. Pra- There's a lot of reasons this truck doesn't seem practical to me. Like I said, you may want to take a week or two, see if you can put together some freight that makes sense for this thing. If not, I would take that offer and run.
8: I think that's some
0: sage advice. I appreciate
8: very- it very much appreciate
0: it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Tennessee. Patrick, welcome. Morning. What's on your mind today?
9: So, so uh, you're right about that truck. It's it, it's just not conducive to a to a decent operation. I mean, if if, if that was my truck, I'd have just taken the thirty nine grand and said, "Okay, here's keys by." Right. Yeah. It's not it's not a good fit.
0: Yeah, it, anyway,
9: it, it could guess, turn into one of those
0: happy mistakes. I mean, he made a mistake buying this. It, it was just not, <laughs> there was no good reason to buy this truck. But when you can profit 21,000, that's a pretty happy mistake.
9: Yep, that's right. So I got, I got two things. I got one thing for Leroy and I wish he could explain it to me. So one of our tune customers out of Montana on Saturday, he was out in Iowa with his brand new 24X15 and a 389 Pete. Great truck, great looking truck, all that stuff. His ambient air temperature sensor in the left hand mirror went tips up. So, and the truck's under warranty, not that big of a deal. So he got it into a place there in Cedar Rapids, Peterbilt dealership yesterday, got it all squared away. And, and like I said, it was under warranty. But it went to derate this truck. And when when Steve's telling me that, I'm, I'm sitting there going, what? You know, so how much stuff is that ambient air temperature? And maybe you don't know, Leroy. I don't know. But how much stuff and why would that ambient air temperature be hooked to anything in the ECM that would derate
2: it? Well, so the, the, the ambient conditions. Is one of the biggest like dictators of how that engine works because it doesn't work off of like a boost number or anything like that. It works off of like a mass airflow number. And in order to know how much air, what the air density is, you have to know what the air temperature is. So when that part of the system breaks down, the ambient air temperature system breaks down, it has no idea how dense the air is. So if that doesn't know that it doesn't know what boost maps to use. It doesn't know what fueling maps to use. It gets, They get that system all up in a fit when when that thing breaks.
9: Oh, it pissed this thing off. He called me and he goes, I don't know what the hell happened, but this thing wants to derate in 236 minutes. And I I just couldn't wrap my head around it, which is fine. I'm not the guru. I'm just the guy that hooks the computer up. So I I get that part of it. But the problem is, why wouldn't they, in my opinion or my eyes anyway, why wouldn't they or why couldn't they not put that in the mirror? Why wouldn't they put that somewhere else in the truck or on the truck? Because we all know that out there on the mirror when it when it's icy and crappy weather and those kind of things, that that's probably the first thing to ice over. So why would they use that in conjunction with, and And I get what you're saying. I'm not trying to argue with you, but why wouldn't they take that reading somewhere else in the engine? does that Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I know on freight liners, I believe, that they they have their ambient air temperature sensor up by like the charge air cooler, like it's right out right. front. You, you want right. the best representation of ambient conditions. Typically, that's on the outside, not anywhere under the hood, because it's usually a little warmer under the hood. But there are better places to put it than in the mirror. I agree with you there. I mean, I see mirror issues all the time, but I, w- I would really wonder if you could just relocate that sensor to somewhere like by the grill or something that like sort of hides behind the grill. I mean, it's the first thing that gets damaged when if you hit something, but I guess the same thing goes for the mirror. You could knock the mirror off. So.
9: But couldn't you put it between the charge air cooler and the condenser, and wouldn't that make a little more sense? It would still get the airflow, but uh, it wouldn't maybe be so subjective to getting uh, damaged.
2: Yeah, you, that's kind of where freight liners have it. Um don't want it where, like, air is blowing over it. You just want it to kind of receive ambient conditions. You don't want, like, the cooling effect of wind going over it. But somewhere up front, I think, is a much better place than in the air.
9: So, like, on the side mount or something, you could put that thing standing up or down or whatever you needed to do, zip-tie it there and be done with it.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's okay. a ton of places put it, yeah.
9: And then... Uh, and then we, we we had a customer that had a fifteen uh, three eighty nine with uh, with a Cummins in it. ISX. We tuned him up, he was just happier than he could be with that truck, and then it started giving him it started giving him troubles. I mean, every time he turned around it was after treatment, after treatment, after treatment. And he just got sick of it. So he got an offer for the engine from a fleet and it was like 40 grand for this engine. It was stupid because he wanted to figure out something different to put in the truck. So he took the 40 grand. They pulled that engine out of the truck. He went and got a 12.7 Detroit, brand new in the box, brought it to us after he got it in the truck. We tuned it up. He was out in California pulling Tesla batteries, those great big ones, oversized loads, like 80 some thousand pounds net on six axles, which I still don't know how California gave him a permit for that, but apparently they did. But uh, he's going down the road here about a month ago, and the oil return on that on the turbo started pissing oil and caught his engine on fire and burnt his truck to the ground. Everything from the headache rack forward was gone. Uh, All right. And And go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I was just making a joke. Go ahead.
9: So, you know, three or four fire extinguishers later, it still burnt to the ground. He just went out and found another truck. And and what I'm getting at is you guys you guys delete or you guys, you know, do whatever you want to make sure that, you know, maybe you don't have to do the after treatment, which, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. But remember, there can always be worse problems down the road. Um, everybody, you know, a lot of folks talk about deleting and I try to talk them out of that because of what we can do as a uh, Pittsburgh power, uh, especially with the high altitude stuff that we do in Cheyenne. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, this young man, 30 years old is, is going through a lot of PTSD. I mean, that was his whole life that went up in smoke and flames and you don't realize it. I suppose it, it would be kind of like losing your spouse or, or what have you but it's a it's an issue and it's and, and you know if you lost somebody in an accident or something I suppose that would be PTSD like uh, and and this poor young man is going through a lot of PTSD right now and I'm trying to help him through that but it's really tough uh, and you don't realize the decisions you make today could affect you 60 90 100 200 days down the road and and lead into these things and i and i don't want to get off on a tangent here but but it it's a big thing when you don't and and i don't know if he was checking these things or if that's a common problem with the detroits i don't know but you know uh going down the road and your truck bursts into flames that's that's a pretty serious deal yeah so is. is 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 life went up in flames you know for lack of a better term so <clears throat>
0: Yeah, I get it. All right, Patrick. Kevin, is,
9: is is that kind of a typical thing on these Detroit's? Where and and it didn't look like anything was rubbing. It looks like it just came loose I, off of the turbo return.
0: First, I've heard of it. Anybody else?
1: It's not a known problem. Not um, that I'm aware of. The way they're, they're designed, and they don't seem to break or crack. I mean, they'll sometimes we get small leaks out of them, but I've never had one leak that bad that he ran out of oil. But You know the the tube could have cracked. Maybe the bolts weren't tight. It's hard to say what exactly happened. And once it catches fire, it's going to be pretty tough to determine what actually happened.
9: Right. No, and I agree with that, Pete. You're right. So yeah, uh, something to watch for. But guys, um, that's all I
4: got.
0: All right. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's go to Oklahoma. All welcome. Howdy. What's on your mind Um, today?
7: The guy with that cab over. Take the money and run.
0: <laughs> that yeah. seems to be the consensus.
7: Yeah, it, yeah. So, but he talked about taking the body off. I have seen one good use of those stretched out cab overs, and that's the guys that haul 70-foot I-beams, steel I-beams. There's a 53-foot trailer, and they're hanging off the front, and they're <laughs> hanging off the back. Look, well, you've got a 300-inch wheelbase cab over, you can have a lot of steel hanging off the front of the trailer before you're up to the back of the cab.
0: Well, there you so go. So that's,
7: that's about the only practical use I see for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty um, limited.
7: <clears throat> yeah. So I do have a question for Leroy. On the the new Peterbilts with the digital dash, so I know a guy who's contemplating buying a new truck, and he's a die-hard pre-emission guy, and he's talking about yanking that Cummins out of it and dropping a pre-emission Caterpillar in there. Is he going to be able to make that engine? He don't care about emission rules or anything. Is he un- is he going to be able to make that dashboard talk to that engine, or vice versa, or is he up shit creek?
2: I mean, I don't know for sure uh my conjecture would be if it has 1939 it might read like tachometer and coolant temp and things like that but i also think that it's going to miss the engine that it was programmed to look at so it it's probably just going to lose its marbles. and it may work it may not if i had to if i had to put money on i would say it's not going to work
7: yeah well he he did talk to the people out there in coos bay oregon and they said it'd probably be a year before they even can work anything out to make it work so
2: yeah but yeah you're you're better off to to try to get like individual gauges like out of like the old peterbilts and then just like wire them individually and just make your own dash that if you're going to that much of the extent where you're cutting the truck up and putting a different engine in it anyway
7: I, i would just put the dash up okay you could Go to a recycling yard and find one that's been total, but the dash was good.
2: Yeah, like a like a 2015, 389, something like that. Those had, like, individual clusters.
7: You could take that out okay. and put it on your own sort of
2: plastic panel and then just wire them together because that, that's what I would do.
7: Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll let him know because when he talked about it, I said, you might not be able to make that engine and the dashboard communicate, so you might be driving just totally by feel. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, if it vibrates so down. I'm on, yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you're in the left lane and passing everybody, you're probably going too fast. So. <laughs> yeah. So I'm about 8,000 miles short of the same amount of miles that was on my engine when it was rebuilt up there at Pittsburgh Power. So within a couple of weeks, I should be... Ready for another Match reason. the no, no, did not even close this time.
0: So. Yeah, well, there you go. Great. It was built right this time.
7: Yeah, I do put a little bit of oil in it occasionally, but when I, when I took it up there in 2018 at 639,000 miles, on average I was tipping five gallons of oil a month in it. So oh,
0: yeah, there it's you a go. A lot
7: better engine than it was to start with. So. Sure is. Uh
0: uh-huh. oh. I think we lost Paul. I lose him? Uh he disappeared. We've got one more call in the screening room. We'll grab that here in a couple minutes. Probably will be the last call for today. Uh, I need to get on with some things. So um, while we're waiting, anybody have anything they want to mention?
1: Nope, I do not.
0: No. All right, we'll just um, we'll have a little sing along then while we're waiting. Who wants to lead? Leroy Leroy can lead. I think Leroy Um, is the man.
1: um,
0: Okay. Come come on, Angie. Hurry up. Save us here. There we go. That was everybody. There we go. We can go to Wisconsin now and talk to Nick. Nick, welcome.
10: Hey, guys. uh, That call, Paul called in. Did he say his his buddy wanted to put a cat in a new Pete? Is that what he's doing? Yes. Okay. Uh, There's a company in Nebraska called Elkhorn Valley Trucks. They do just that. Um, But I will say... I think they tried doing it with one of the new digital dash Peterbilts, and it was a disaster. They've been doing it with the uh, older-style dashes, and um, Nebraska has kind of a loophole where you can do something like that, and they give you a whole new title for the truck, and that way you're not in, tro- in trouble with uh, emissions. Um, but yeah, as far as the dig- digital dash, so,
0: um, they, so they ran into trouble. L- l- let me ask you something. What. It- what regulation are they using to put a non-emission engine in an emission truck?
10: So, if you replace a major component in a vehicle, they give you what's called an assembled title, and, and such as a cab or an engine. Um, so that's the loophole they found. They've been doing it for years. Um, they, if you go to their website, they've got plenty, uh, plenty of them in the inventory now i don't know maybe somebody could get caught and get in trouble but my understanding is it's a legit
0: process i i'd love to see first off it's not that big of a deal because the cost of this is usually way out of whack i mean i it, it very seldom ever makes sense to do this i guess if you've got a newer truck with a you know Motor gone maybe then but even then the additional cost to go back to an older technology engine when the new ones are doing fine um, The whole process doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me If anybody's interested in it, I I would be concerned I I don't believe you're allowed to do this based on emission regulations because it why wouldn't everybody do it? I mean they even shut down the glider loophole, but this wouldn't even apply as a glider so I, I, if anybody's doing this, I would just be careful. You could spend an awful lot of money and end up with a non-compliant truck. But to me, I, yeah, I just don't see that.
10: Quite, they've been doing it for quite a while. They well, actually were hey, ordering brand new trucks right from Peterbilt and uh, taking them up there, jerking the Cummins out, selling the Cummins motor, putting a cat in it, and, and selling well, them for a de, profit. So uh, de-
0: deletes have been going on for fifteen plus years, and people are just now being prosecuted for it. Right. That that's right. that's been a we yep. that's been going on since the mid two thousands and I, there it isn't a week that goes by anymore that I don't see some shop being dinged for this. Yeah, I, I I would just be careful with that. And like I said, the whole process doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Well, what know, you what's see a their lot
10: of with the what's their average cost? been rebuilt after three or four hundred thousand miles. So
0: well, the answer is don't there is that don't buy the Cummins. Um, But what's the cost? What's an average cost? Does anybody know? I mean, if I bring in a a new modern truck and I want an older engine put into it, what's it going to cost me?
10: I don't know. I know they were selling the trucks, the the new trucks, for about what you could, I don't know how, but for about what you're paying for them from Peterbilt, now, like
0: $230,000. Oh, man, no way. No way am I paying two hundred thirty. Yeah. I mean, that's
10: why three eighty nine new costs are two forty now.
0: I know, but new. I've got a new modern engine. I can't imagine spending two hundred thirty thousand dollars on a truck that's been modified this heavily has an older engine and might not even be legal. Whew. All right, not yeah, for me.
10: You know, out, there, out there in the Midwest, they don't really uh, police that stuff too much. So I guess maybe that's what they're docking on. I don't know.
0: Well, like I said, for the last 15 years, nobody's enforced anything anywhere. We've talked about this the whole time, that that people are getting away with all kinds of stuff until they're not. And now all of a sudden I see, and I don't see it being geographical. I've seen them crack
2: down on shops all over the country. It might be a thing, too, where they're like building a case and it takes a while. You know, you have to have multiple things happen. You want to make this fish as big as possible before you poach it. Yeah, they might be just racking cases and having an absolute bulletproof case before they take it to court so that there's no way to get around it. They might be doing that. They might be on the watch list. You never know.
1: Kevin, I'm looking at their website. They have a 2024 389 Pete flat top. with. So what it says is with assembled title, very similar to a glider title. And how much? Uh, it doesn't uh, give a price, but, but it has ha- a 550 cat. Oh, 20. Um, $229,000.
2: I wonder what those things
1: go for new because
2: you have to buy the truck with the engine, rip the engine out, buy another engine. Okay. You'd have to rebuild
1: to, it or just buy a CAT reman engine, which is $45,000. And you then labor. So, you have
9: to
1: pay a core charge, I, that's another ten grand. So you're paying so, 55000 on
2: top of a new truck and then labor to install all that. I just don't know how you make any money doing that.
1: So they would have the engine to sell.
0: Well, and, and who's, who's going to buy it? it? Well, here's the other thing. If they can you're telling me you pay 230 for a new cat or a new uh, Peterbilt or, or Kenworth now if that's the regular price then nothing about this makes sense. They would have to be able to buy their trucks at like 160,000 or 50 and they'd still have really small profit margins. So if they can buy a new one at 150 why can't I? Yeah. This whole <laughs> thing just doesn't <laughs> make any sense to me at all. And the numbers don't even work. I don't know. A little sketch to me. Yeah. It, 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 they've got to have 60000 into that conversion. I just don't know how you could do it for much less than that. So, so that means we're, we're paying 60000 above what the new truck cost originally or more. Yeah. I don't know. Not making what, a whole what, lot of
10: sense you, to me. What can you get for a uh, What can you get for an X fifteen? That's never, that's brand new.
1: Wait, so a remand engine is probably well in the forties. I mean, there is value there. It's just a matter of finding someone that would need a newer engine. Yeah, who has an X twenty four fifty
2: which is only like a twenty two or twenty three and newer truck that's blown up. I mean, those happen, but it generally pretty, you're
1: under warranty. It, it, not yeah, a,
2: yeah, not, so a a right. not a big market there,
0: right? Not a big market to sell those.
1: I Googled what is an assembled title, and it says an assembled title is given to a vehicle that was built or assembled by an individual or business that is not a major car manufacturer.
0: Okay, so that does nothing to alleviate the emission requirements on that year of a vehicle. Just because you built Uh, it yourself.
10: wait Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a bit. What about like these Shelby Cobras? They're doing the same exact thing today. It's an assembled um, kit. There's no emissions requirements. Same exact story, and okay. they're getting away with it. I,
0: the, they might be. I'm not going to argue the law. Um, I, I just nothing about this whole process makes any sense to me. I, and, and if
10: I think the key is the word assembled, I think there, there's there's well, a loophole well, but, with the with the EPA well, or whatever because they've been doing those cars for shit ever since 70s probably.
5: That
2: just feels like a loophole that they can close at any point if they wanted yeah. to. If they found yeah. out like, everyone's I, I'm not doing sure. this, like oh, I'm okay, not sure cool. it's a loophole. But I don't think, I, I,
10: but, but I don't think they can sh- take a vehicle off the road for it if, if it's legal as it is now.
0: That's the that's still the question I have. Is this a real loophole right. that's legal, or is it just that nobody's been prosecuted for it yet because it's not that common because the numbers don't make sense. It don't is make nev-
10: sense to us, but apparently he's figured out a way to do it to make money because he's been doing it for years.
0: That, well, if he's making money, that's fine. That's not the business I'm going into. I'm trying to help people make sure they buy a smart truck. And this does not make any sense to me in any way.
1: And I think another problem would be if you brought that truck to a lot of shops, I think they would refuse to work on it. I think I so, because
0: so. they're not going to know the law. But they're, they're going to look at a, a brand new truck and go, wait a minute, this thing has all kinds of emission requirements and we've got an old engine in it I, they're, and they're not going to know the law any better than the rest of us so you're right you're going to have a hard time selling it if that ever becomes an issue you're going to have a hard time getting it worked on i just um i i can't see any reason to to do this i see none
1: it'd be almost like selling a vehicle with, with a reconstructed title as far as i'm concerned because it says here the certificate of title will have the words assembled vehicle printed on the face of the title
0: Right, which which I, I will promise you, if I'm running a rig dig and I see that, I'm moving on. I'm not going to take mm-hmm. a chance on something like that. That's the I first thing it, I looked at are insurance. title issues. Yeah, does insurance companies care about that? Probably they not. They well, I don't know because they are going to see the title. That's right. I was going to say they wouldn't even know, but they will because of the title brand that's on there. And I uh, and I, I, I still more. I I still am not convinced that. Just by calling this an assembled vehicle, we just eliminate all of the emission
1: requirements. Yeah, I agree. You know, like you said, they, they cracked down on the gliders. They, they eliminated that. Right. Right. And
0: gliders were a legal loophole that they took away. They went in and changed the law to take that one away. That was a legal loophole to get around emissions, and everybody knew that. But I have never seen this as legal to just change an engine in a vehicle and say, well, it's an assembled vehicle, and I don't have to meet
1: emission requirements.
0: I've, I've just never seen that.
1: Well, we need to do some more research and look into this. I, I yeah. can't imagine, that, no, I can't imagine <laughs> it's, it's legal, but I'd like to know the answer.
0: Yeah, I would, too. I would, too. Not that, not that it's really going to end up on my radar because a lot of other reasons, but I still have a feeling this is illegal. We'll see. Uh, we'll check. Nick, anything else?
10: Yeah, actually, the reason why I called um, uh, <laughs> products <laughs> products right. such as motor coat that are allegedly supposed to go in there and put some friction modifier on the, your internal parts of your engine or drivetrain. Um, uh, anybody have any thoughts on those things that they? I do.
0: I, I do. Hey. You know, um, we've been through some changes on fuel additives. I've changed my mind a little bit over the years on fuel additives, and there are some benefits to them. I see none in oil, and I, I just see problems. There's been way too many oil additives over the years that have caused problems. Um, there, there are no friction modifiers that any engine manufacturer couldn't put in themselves. They already do. They use moly. They use all kinds of things as friction modifiers. So to to take another chemical and dump it into a bunch of oils that all have different formulations. I've just never been wild about that. And I've never seen any results. I mean, I'm yeah. not sure how much
10: some guys that they're, they're running it and they say they, they see lower temperatures in their, in their rear end. But, uh, I don't know to me, if you're coating them the with something, uh, the, the oil may not stick to it as well. And, and, and you know,
0: now the, to, to put it into a transmission or a differential doesn't bother me as much because we don't have all the additives in those. They're not they're not complicated formulations of additives the way an engine is. Because an engine, we've got combustion gases to take care of. These other components are sealed. The oil doesn't get contaminated. It doesn't have a lot of additives already. I, I'd be shocked if somebody could actually show me a significant temperature or any temperature drop at all. But that that would be easy enough to prove. I mean, that would be a simple test. Check check your temperature, you know, 10 times to get a good average. Change or add that. Check 10 more times and and show me the results. And I'll say, okay, something's happening in there. I still wouldn't want it in an engine. The engine is far more complicated when it comes to the oil. And I can't imagine... You're going to get much less friction than today's full synthetic 10W30s.
1: We're not seeing oil-related failures, right. I, If a you know truck spun a bearing, it was dirt ingestion or fuel in the oil. Seldom does a engine have a failure when everything's right, and we just right. don't. The oils have gotten better, filtration's gotten better. And we have the OPS out there to, to keep the oil even cleaner. Yeah, I don't see a need for any type of additive like that because I mean, these engines are going a million miles and you they, are you're going 100,000 miles on oil changes.
0: And if somebody's going to claim that because they put this in an engine, they've got better fuel economy, I would have to see some serious documentation proving that.
10: Yeah, and, and my thought was if it lowers the temperature and like your rear ends and even the engine, that actually might be a bad thing because my I know mine, I don't get very good mileage until everything warms up. Yeah, Yeah, temperature and all
0: that stuff. Well, you, you bring up a good point. Do we want to lower temperatures in components? I mean, a lot of these components are like they're not failing because of heat. So why do we want to lower temperature in them? It's just
10: been an old train of thought. The lower the temperature, the better. But we're finding out that it's less efficient that way.
0: Yeah. And there was a time where maybe that made sense when we didn't have the kind of machining processes we have now. Components weren't lasting as long. Maybe if you reduced heat, there was some benefit to it. But I I doubt that there's any benefit today. In fact, it, it could be a negative. But I kind of doubt that you're ever gonna see any real measurable difference. Um, Like I say, I I can almost guarantee you're not gonna see a fuel mileage increase. All right, we are gonna wrap this up for today. Um, Tomorrow on Destination Health, we have a new guest joining us, um, Dr. Keith Smidgel from The Natural Heart Doctor. He is one of uh, the new team members at uh, Dr. Wolfson. So we will uh, we'll be talking to him tomorrow. Thursday, I believe we are doing an episode of Trucking Technology and Efficiency because Friday I'm going to be off doing some training. And I think we're actually having John Walco join us on Thursday. John will be back after a long absence. So we're looking forward to that. All right. We will see you then. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always the hard work and master the journey.